I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. (laughs) That wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 15. Hey ho, back to work we go. I was driving when I took the call. In between the traffic noises outside, I had to ask Watson to speak up a little bit. Watson told me what his doctor said to him, and I repeated it back to him. I did so loud, slow, and deliberate. I had to stop the car because I was just so mad. As you know, or maybe you don't know, I'm not a man of violence. It was at this precise moment I wanted to slap this doctor straight in the chops with a nice, warm, full catheter bag. It was such a disgusting lie that Watson had been told, and I was absolutely livid. In fact, I was strangely more upset than Watson was. But with the engine off, I began to try and calm down as I was digesting what Watson had told me. Imminent prostate cancer surgery, as yet unknown return date. In my immediate absence, please contact Claire, blah, blah, blah. That was the out-of-office message that I left at work days before the surgery. It wasn't to elicit sympathy, far from it. I remember smiling from ear to ear when I'd left it, because I knew it was not the done thing this company being almost quite conservative. I was determined that even before I had the surgery that this condition was never going to win. What I wanted to do was to avoid the hundred or so conversations I would have when I came back because I hadn't been at work for two months or three months or whatever else. And instead, let people know why I was off and hopefully spur some people to go and get tested. I have to say from the start, a massive thank you to my boss Claire, who had been absolutely fantastic throughout this period. She knew about all the tests and even shared some of the worries. She sent me tons of information and she came to see me at home. She even bought me cake. Look, stuffed flowers that are going to sit and look pretty for a couple of days and wither and die. Cake is what it is. Cake is the universal gift. And You wouldn't even be listening to this now if it wasn't for her, because she suggested a blog, which ultimately led to this podcast. On the first day back to work, I didn't even get past the security desk for about 15, 20 minutes, because they were all glad to see me, and they understood why I'd been off. One guard in particular knows that he should get tested, and he really wants to get tested, his words, not mine, but he's just been building up the courage to do so, something that I would find out to be very common later on with guys. The running joke would be, I would ask him every time I saw him, has he had it done yet? And he would tell me he's getting nearer. 
no pressure. But every time I saw him, that was the exchange that we had. Being back at my desk was a bit surreal. A few months earlier, when I was last there, it was just a couple of days before the surgery. I was almost a different person, but here I am. I'm not physically ailing in any way, but I've changed. And probably at that time, I didn't realize how much I'd changed or how much I would continue to change. And then once I did meet people, they spoke about my recovery and the condition. So it was well worth me leaving that out of office message. So I started off with a phase return back to work and those half days were really good. I've been down to a single pad a day for the last couple of weeks. So that was a big worry removed. It was also just a little bit annoying that I'd made all this progress to this point and I seemed to be stuck at this final hurdle. I'd upped the pelvic floor exercises to four times a day to try and solve it, but it was just getting past this final bit. My sleep pattern was up and down still getting up multiple times in the night but sometimes I could get away with it but it's only sometimes with only working half days it was just easier to recover at home if I needed to there'd been a big redundancy call which removed a number of my old friends the friends that were left the likes of Pupali, Carolee, Sandra and Carol they were all devastated and really concerned when I told them the news Sandra who I'd known the longest was her concerned but measured lovely self. Kupali, who is normally quite conservative, and the softy of the bunch, swore like an absolute trooper when I told her. And that made me laugh. Carolee, the hard nut of the bunch, sort of said I'd be fine and not to worry. But she did show that she had a soft side, and that was just fantastic. Then there was Carol, my dearest friend. When I told her she had tears in her eyes, she was so worried and concerned, she organised a church group to pray for me and for me to send them regular updates. She moved me the most. She was such just so lovely. And they were all glad to see me. Big hugs all around. And this is just to say publicly, thank you. But no, I'm not going soft. Forget that. Getting back to work and trying to get into the routine. The other challenge was trying to keep up this good diet. It's great to talk a good diet. Keeping it up is something else. And as I would find out, you know, I can have these, these spurs of healthy eating. But at the end of the day, if I can just eat healthier, I'm at least halfway there. At the same time as making a phase return to work, I returned to church. They'd sent me this wonderful, massive bouquet and goodie basket when they first heard. And the first Sunday of each month, they have this miracle and testimony service where the churchgoers are invited to come and talk about any miracles or special events in their life that have happened to them. Tell my ch I always wanted to tell my story to the wider church, as I'd done previously with the men's ministry individually. It was definitely one of the tick boxes that I wanted to achieve. So I'd sent an email off saying, could I talk at the... Um, miracle and testimony service and got a positive response on the day I wasn't nervous at all turned up nice and early suited and booted well actually not suited and booted I looked good there were going to be three of us talking and I was the last one I just wanted to keep it real the first thought that came into my mind when the microphone was handed to me was the absolute silence. You could hear a pin drop. 
and the sheer number of eyeballs staring at me. Plus, I knew there were going to be thousands online as well. There were about 600 people in the service before me. And as ever, afterwards, I critiqued my performance and was annoyed that I'd missed out a couple of key points. But generally, having watched it afterwards, I got the main points out there. In fact, I got pretty much everything I really needed to get out there. So this is my actual testimony. Hi. Um, so um, some of you have been here for a while. You're, you'll recognize me as the miserable peacekeeper. <laughs> but, but lately I've, I've been working in the children's ministry. So, 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 God bless me with three things: a big mouth, a sense of humour, and prostate cancer. So, um, how the story started was um, for my 50th birthday. I just decided I was going to do a health check. I had no symptoms, no, nothing to worry about. I was more worried about diabetes and cholesterol than anything else. So, I went to the doctors. And um, he's punching in all these different things. And he said, should we do the PSA? Which is um, what you need for prostate cancer. I am denied and I said, yeah, why not? Go ahead and do it. And um, so we did it. And it takes two weeks. On the, the last day of the two weeks, I got a text message from um, Guy's Hospital, Oncology Department. And it said, your appointment's been booked for... Uh, 27th of March, I think it was. But I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know what oncology was. Looked up oncology, and it's the study, treatment, prevention of cancer. But I hadn't heard from the surgery. So eventually I heard from the surgery, and they said, um, so you've done your PSA count, and it's come back high. Um, so automatically we, we arranged an appointment for you to, to go and see a consultant. So the threshold is 3.5. If it's above 3.5, they create a, an appointment for you. So mine was 6.5. So um, so went to so 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 went to uh, went to the hospital, and they did a MRI scan, ultrasound, and a biopsy. After all of that, my PSA came at 11.5. At around the 30 mark your prostate begins to deteriorate, split, and that's when cancer spreads around your body. As far as cancer is concerned, the prostate cancer is, if you for want of a better word, it's the best cancer you can get because it's contained. So, um, so they said to me, you've got two choices. You can either have the radical surgery and have it removed, or you can have uh, radiotherapy and um, hormone treatment. Effectively, the radiotherapy and the hormone treatment turns you into a girl. Um, you lose definition, you grow breast tissue, all sorts of things happen. Yeah, but the main thing is, is that if it doesn't work, you might not be able to have the prostate removed. So you're effectively signing your own death warrant if you go down that route. So on the uh, 5th of July, I had the operation. And the thing about the operation is the prostate is is surrounded by uh, a bunch of two sets of nerves. And those nerves control 
the hydraulics um, that you need <laughs> to, to function. As, and um, so, so, so basically, depending on how the operation is, they'll either save two of them, one of them, or none of them. So the doctor, oh, I've missed that a bit, sorry. So I tried to, I tried to delay the operation because I was going to miss my daughter's graduation. And um, he said, no, it's best to do this as soon as possible. So um, I decided to drown my sorrows as you do, went off to the McDonald's. And, <laughs> and I, bought a, I, bought a paper, I bought a newspaper along the way. I just picked it up. I didn't, didn't know what, what, it, what was on it, just, just, just bought this newspaper. When I got into the McDonald's and I opened up this newspaper, um, it said that week they were doing um, a, a health series on different, different professionals. So on the Monday was breast cancer. And unbeknown to me, I didn't see the headline. That Tuesday was prostate cancer. And they had on there the top 20 consultants in the country. Opened it up and my consultant was there. So, and I, and I, and I, carry, that, I carry that newspaper around with me. So I, I said to God, okay, if you do your bit, I'll do my bit. So we had the operation and the consultant came back to me and he said, look, your, your prostate was a bit bashed up, but we managed to save both of the nerves. Wow. So, so I came out of hospital um, the day after, 100% incontinent and 100% impotent. I've got no problem with saying that. That's, that's just how it is. And um, so the recuperation is long and it's, and, it, and, it, and it's hard. In the meantime, I started a blog. And that blog, um, Guy's Hospital have turned around and said, you know, this, this blog is not only honest and refreshing and funny, we'd like to use it for new patients. So any new patient now, they'll get to, to see my blog. So um, going forward now, um, so my bit was to talk to men, because this is something we don't talk about. Yeah? Um, and it's not just black men, white men, we just don't talk about it. So, so moving forward, um, I joined um, Prostate Cancer UK and I've become a spokesperson for them. And I had my first, I had my first talk on Monday, so, so that went well. Regarding the incontinence, that's down to about 10, 20%, and the impotence is down to about 70%. But it'll get there, and through all of that, I've just got to give thanks that not only am I still here, but I know that I know that it's in His hands, and it's not a problem. Now, the, the reason why I wanted to be a spokesperson for this because the the statistics are, are horrific. Depending on what depending on what you read, it's one in twenty or one in eight white men and it's one in three black men. And we just don't talk about it, we ignore it, we pretend it doesn't happen. And I just want to say today that, you know, women, you've got to do your part as well because men won't, men won't go to the doctors. I had no symptoms, no symptoms whatsoever. If you get in front of this, it's a lot easier. Yeah, it's if when you leave it, if you wait for the symptoms, you've actually got more of a problem. So women, encouraging men to just go and get tested. And men, just get tested. And 
All I can say is I'm going to continue to be a big mouth for this. I can, I'm going to continue to be the worst enemy for prostate cancer. And just believe in God all the way because he has taken me through this and he will take me through this. And that's, that's all I can do. After the actual testimony, the effect was immediate. One man I'd known in the church for a long time approached me and said, look, I've been fighting this for five years and nobody knows. So just keep up the good work. Before I could even process that revelation, other people were coming up to me and thanking me and telling me they were proud of me. Total strangers came up to shake my hand. I was getting texts and messages from all over the place. I didn't feel brave. I just told my story. The next day, one of my friends, John, sent me a text to say a friend of his, called Watson, wanted to talk to me. I said, no problem at all, give him my number. He called a few days later and I was driving. It was the Monday after my testimony. He was after my advice. He had gone to his doctors a week or so earlier and asked for a PSA test. The doctor, who happened to have a junior doctor with him, said the actual following to him. You don't want to get a PSA test. They put a camera down your penis, which is very painful and invasive. They have to do it that way, as it's the only way they can get to the prostate. You cannot get to the prostate from any other way. That was what made me so mad. I put Watson absolutely straight. I've heard of some surgeries and doctors making it very difficult for guys to go and get their PSA done. But this was one of the worst cases that I'd ever heard. Now, Watson was a bit mild-mannered. And he said to me, he wished I could be there the next time he goes back. And I said, well, I can't be. But you know what? I'll talk to him. So when you go back, give him my number. I will happily talk to him and educate him about the PSA test. A few days later, Watson came back to me and said he told the doctor what I'd said. The doctor, of course, was too busy to call me, but he wanted my blog details. Well... I made sure the next blog I put out there, I mentioned a certain doctor that came out with this rubbish and told Watson. Watson got his PSA test and I'm absolutely elated for him. It came back all clear. On the strength of Watson going for his test, he convinced his brother to go for a test as well. His brother went for a test and it was confirmed that he had prostate cancer. Once again, he had no symptoms and he had no idea. Watson's doctor is a complete idiot. There are other doctors out there who are absolutely brilliant. And I myself was saved by a doctor making that one suggestion that I would never have thought of myself. So I knew as difficult and as hard as this task was going to be, I was going to be prostate cancer's worst enemy because I was going to talk about it and I was going to talk about it and I was going to talk about it. My new superpower.